Hello, listeners, and welcome to the final episode of our mini series where we have been focused on the program Improving Quality of Maternal and Newborn Health in Kenya. This is an FCDO funded program, the Foreign Commonwealth Development Office, and it is led by the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. In each of the episodes, we have been discussing the different ways that the program has strengthened the capacities of health workers, mainly midwives and nurses, to deliver high quality care to reduce maternal and newborn morbidity and mortality. In previous episodes, we have heard how data has been used in decision-making through the maternal and perinatal death surveillance and response approach. We've also heard about pre-service training and teaching and how it has been improved so that nurses and midwives feel more competent and capable to step into their roles on the front line. In this episode, we're going to be focused on in-service training. And as with the other three episodes, I have a wonderful co-host with me, Lucy Nyaga. She is the country director of the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine in Kenya and is a medical anthropologist by background with over 20 years of experience in maternal and child health. So Lucy, welcome back to the podcast in this final episode. Lucy, why do we need in-service training on top of all the quality training that you have been delivering in Kenya through this program? Good afternoon from Kenya. Um, thank you very much, Kim, uh, to just give a background to what we said or a little bit more information. First, you know, previously, the way the curriculum of the in-service was designed, it was not comprehensive. And when nurses, midwives, sometimes doctors, were trained, some components were missing, you know, in their curriculum when they were trained up. So when they went out to the field, the only way that we could cover that gap is then to be able to train them on the job, train them as they conducted or delivered services. You know, as things change, as the world change, so does medicine, so does new health challenges come. And therefore, that's why we have to cover that gap through continuous development and also through continuous uh, medical education. So that's why it's necessary. However, we hear in the context of this program uh, that uh, in-service training is quite expensive and it can consume some of the time. Through this program, we've put systems in place that will ensure we have less and less of in-service training, reducing that impact of throwing away healthcare workers when they are out of the field. We have three guests who have been beneficiaries of the training and mentorship that the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, together with the government of Kenya, have put in place in terms of training, the healthcare workers, mentorship, and putting policies in place. So our guests today, therefore, to highlight more on this are Dr. Nasir Shaban. Dr. Nasir Shaban is an obstetrician gynecologist working at the Samwani County Federal Hospital. Kuala County and the coast of Kenya. We also have Veronica Musiega, a senior midwife working in Bihiga County as a county productive health coordinator, the county in the western uh, part of Kenya. And we have Sylvia Kintai, a senior midwife working in Wasimbishu County as sub-county reproductive health coordinator for Kapsaret County, a county also in the north region of Kenya. Veronica, what is the scope of this program that NXTF implemented? And how was the in-service training received by the midwives in Kenya? The in-service training, basically it is for healthcare providers, mainly the nurses, the midwives, the clinical officers, and the doctors 
who have undergone the pre-service training, but mainly there were trainings they underwent was not very comprehensive. So normally they have gaps in issues or key resuscitation obstetric emergency areas. These are the areas we sharpen their skills in, and mainly we were identifying how our participants from the MNH departments, especially our labor wards, our theaters, and our MCH departments, our newborn care, so that we choose them. Then we are able to have a five-day training, that is the in-service emergency obstetric care training, uh, that composes of about 32 participants. After the training, we follow them up in their various facilities just to ensure that they are practicing what we actually taught them. So we follow it up and where we have gaps, we continue it with the mentorship. Remember the five-day training, we were using the mannequins and the modules, but now when it comes to the actual clients, maybe we, they did not have uh, the practice during the training, we follow them up in mentorship. The mentorship, again, we can do it even on actual patients, the mannequins again, so that their skills are more sharpened and they are able to avert the mortalities and morbidities that may occur to the babies and the mothers. Yeah, so for Vihiga County from 2019, it was a cost-sharing program where the county chipped in with the part of the training requirements and also LSTM chipped in part of the training and almost everyone was equipped with skills. And basically that has helped us in reducing mortalities and morbidities within the county. Thank you very much, Veronica. Sylvia, how was the in-service training received by the Midwest and nurses in your county in West Indishu? Before the EMOC training, most midwives were not confident enough to manage mothers and babies. And once they were exposed to that uh, training, most midwives gained uh, a confidence and they were able to manage most of these obstetric emergencies. And also after training, most midwives now knew the kind of uh, drugs or the kind of supplies that they might need in their maternity. For example, before the training, most midwives did not know even how to use the simple vacuum extractor. Most wives did not even know how to use the manual uh, vacuum aspiration set. And also before then, most midwives said that they used to refer many clients to the next level. And most of the times they would actually refer the clients in bad condition. For example, they were not able to do simple uh, procedures like even the manual a removal of the placenta or perform manual vacuum aspiration. Most of the times they would refer clients who are still bleeding to the next facility and that would actually increase the mobility of mortality of those women. So in a way, after the training, they gained confidence and in a way also it led to reduction of unnecessary deaths of mothers and babies. Also as a county, we were able to improve in terms of finances, because remember, as a country, we have reimbursement of Linda Mama, the money that goes back to the facility if a mother delivers in that facility. The reduction in uh, the referrals that means that these women delivered in their facilities and in turn, the resources were, were taken back to those facilities. And in a way, the facility gained in terms of finances and also the county gained in terms of finances which 
go a long way to buy in the resources and the supplies that are needed in maternal and newborn health. Well, that is really interesting and really impactful. With the trainings that we have had in the county, I must say that there really is great improvement in the way our midwives in Vihiga are actually handling the emergencies. Earlier on, an emergency like, let's say, prolapse, eh? you would find that the midwife would come along with the mother as she walks along the corridor, and then she's telling you this mother has a cord prolapse, and the cord was pulsating. So you actually wonder, what is the problem? The mother is already walking and having the head pressed onto the cord. But uh, as we speak now, for the last, like, uh, four cord uh, prolapses that were pulsating that were referred. The midwives were from the periphery facilities, called the ambulance very urgently, were able to put the mother in the neatest position. And by the time they even reached the periphery facility, we are able to do an emergency CS and be able to avert that particular mortality. Even as we do supervision in our facilities, we realize that these emergencies are clearly displayed in the labor wards so that any stranger in labor is actually aware what she's supposed to do. They've put the emergency kits in place so that they will even orient somebody who is new. In every sub-county, we realize that we have mentors in every sub-county. We also have even facilities that have mentors. Basically, everybody is sharpened. And even at management level, even up to the governor's desk, they are always scared of a maternal death. Nobody wants to record a maternal death. And that is why everybody wants to know how to avert and be able to handle any maternal and any fetal emergencies. Dr. Masir, in terms of what this advance of obstetric course is about and what it has done to you personally as a practitioner. The advanced obstetric and aesthetic and neonatal care is a slightly different type of training compared to the basic IMOC we are all used to. In this type of a package, it encompasses the anesthetic part and a lot of surgical part. When we were training all the medical officers, the consultants and the nurses and the clinical officers in Kenya, it was thought that the part which was merged in the basic IMOC was very shallow. And there's a lot of information and skills these doctors were lacking. People also felt like the consultants are rarely on the ground. The consultants and the medical officers were spending most of their times in theater. And sometimes they might not be on board when they are dealing with their patients on antenatal. Just an example for breach, most of them will be sectioning them. But the essence of theater and the surgical skills was very, very important. So actually the package on advanced surgical, obstetric and anesthetic care came on time and it was very well welcomed by all the doctors in Kenya. So for instance, we go deep on how to manage difficult cesarean sections. What are the challenges we anticipate when we have, let's say, for example, low-lying placenta, the accretors and all those things. So we go very deep on the surgical skills in such a way that once one uh, graduates from such courses and trainings, they tend to be updated on what are the advances and what are the updates on such matters. I can share a small experience. I was delayed a little because of I delayed in theater. And what happened to me today, I was sectioning a woman and 
one of the skills I used today was uh, the head was deeply impacted. And I remember I'm a trainer and uh, you can use your left hand to extract the baby. And that's exactly what I did. Okay, I ended up with a little bit of tear, which led me to uh, spend more time than what I anticipated to spend in theater. But generally, I got a very good score and the baby was deeply impacted. And I was saying, had I not undergone the training, for sure, I would have met a lot of difficulties today. So those are areas which the medical officers, the consultants were lacking before this training came. Another one advantage which I can say openly is for any person who is a registrar in this country, in our country, let's say in either Nairobi University or more University where I came from, majority of the questions, even in the part one and the part two exams, come from this package. In fact, I can comfortably say that had it, had it not been for the skills and the trainings I was going through, I, I feel like my last exam when I was graduating from med school, I would have uh, encountered a lot of difficulties in the exam. I can say at least 50%, 50% of the exam in part two exam in our universities come from the advanced obstetric neonatal and anesthetic care. This is really interesting because, you know, one of the things that we are trying to do as a Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine funding or not is really to ensure that this system is incorporated in the advanced training of doctors who are specializing in that case. It's saving life. It's actual. It's practical. But for Sylvia and for Veronica, because I know one of the things you mentioned is that this training also has touch on managers and policy makers as we did them. What difference in this approach has led to a systems change at your county level? I think I will start with Wasinigishu County. One of the things that was introduced by LSTM was the introduction of the human resource dashboard. Before then, we would train uh, our midwives within a couple of weeks, a couple of months, the midwives are rotated and taken to the non-maternal and newborn health department. With the introduction of the human resource dashboard, we've seen the management committing to ensure that uh, the midwives who have been trained are actually left to continue working in the maternal and newborn areas. That has really improved on the quality of care that we've been giving. Also, with the introduction of the IMOC functionality assessment, the feedback was shared with the county. We are able to identify the gaps that are in our facilities. For example, if we don't have the emergency drugs, facilities did not have the manual vacuum aspiration equipment, they didn't have the vacuum extraction equipment. Sharing this data with management really helped them to see where to focus when they want to buy supplies and equipment for the maternity uh, units. Remember we said when we were doing the trainings, we also looked for a trainer of trainers or trainer of trainees who we identified and they continually mentored the midwives in their various facilities. Like before, we used to have a pool of mentors either at sub-county level or at county level, and the mentors would go around. And sometimes there was no even vehicle or fuel to take mentors around the facilities. Now with the 
this introduction from LSTM of having mentors attached to facilities or mentors being part of the maternity staff, that has gone a long way to improve services in our county. The last thing is something on communication. Eh? Uh, for me, the management has really picked up the communication tool and that has really improved referrals between the lower facilities and the higher facilities. For me, I think Wasingishu is one of the counties that has really benefited from this concept from LSTM. Thank you. There are so many really good points coming out. But what I also pick is there's a human beach or beach in terms of people enjoying their work, but are there some humanistic skills and soft skills? I think during the training, there is a, a module that really cover issues of respectful care. And that is what is really cutting across in every facility where even at community level, we have what we call the community scorecard that really focuses on the respect of care that we are providing to our clients. It basically started in maternity, where we expected that privacy, issues of confidentiality must be strengthened at maternity, issues of consenting, and even issues of having a, a chaperone. From a different perspective from Dr. Nasir, can we talk about some best practices in terms of the human bit of the training? First of all, I, I appreciated the importance of patience in everything we do. For example, suturing the uterus, it was all about patience. This idea of rushing was actually something we were trying to avoid so that you give the best to the mothers. So patience was everywhere. The way you work with your people, the way you work with your team, the way you work with the patient, everything needed patience. That is number one. Number two was teamwork. I really appreciated teamwork, both on the team which we were working with, the mentors, the mentees, and what we were learning silently, that you can't do everything alone. You need to have a team. You need to be coordinating from one, another, one person to another. You needed that being together for a common goal. And the goal is to give the best to the patient and to have the best outcome. Something as I also learned huh, was uh, the importance of following protocols that there are a lot of things which are in our facilities. For example, we've been talking about the muse charts, we've been talking about uh, the theater checklist, all these things are in our facilities, but we are not implementing them. We are not following them. We are having a lot of near misses. We are having a lot of mortalities and morbidities simply because we were too lazy to follow the protocols. It's actually the feeling of doing things on a shortcut. You just want to do something and live. So the issue of following protocols, following order, came out very loud that were we following the order, were we following the SOPs, were we following the protocols, we'll have saved a lot of our mothers, we'll have saved a lot of babies, we'll have saved a lot of uh, resources from our facilities because everything is there, the protocols are there, but it is all upon us to follow the same. The last thing, or the second last thing, was sacrifice. We realized that everything needed sacrifice. Even holding these uh, trainings, it needed a lot of sacrifices. Sometimes we meet very early in the morning. We meet at 7.30. And by the time we finish, it's around 6. We have our meetings for one, one hour. Sometimes we leave the training halls at around 7.30 or even 8. It needed a lot of sacrifices. But there's that feeling in your heart that I've given my best. I've transferred this knowledge to the people who deserve to get the knowledge. The participants appreciate. The participants also staying in a 
uh, in a training from eight to around 5.30 or six without even touching your phone, without, you know, going out for other things. The last thing which I can mention is flexibility. Someone can call you and maybe you are not on duty or you are doing your part-time thing and then you're called by your junior or even your senior, come and give us a, a helping hand and you come. Uh, when we were doing uh, our trainings during COVID time, we, we had planned to do everything in Nairobi. And all of a sudden, we got a lockdown in Nairobi. Now we all had to come to Mombasa. The issue of flexibility, sacrifice, following protocols, being patient, and teamwork were the major aspects of the humanitarian skills which we learned from this course. The human aspect that really matters. It doesn't matter how much training you have, but as long as you can, you know, transfer that to yourself and your patient, I think then that kind of brings out that aspect of best practice in medicine. Do you feel that uh, having gone through this training has made any difference? If you compare previously before the training and now, do you see any differences maybe in the cases in the hearts of the mothers? I can say in places where we've trained, the outcomes are very clear. The results are seen. The only problem we have is we need to train more and more and more. I'm speaking on behalf of, doctor, of doctors. So if you go to Nairobi University, for example, you go to my university and the small few centers we've trained outside the two towns, you can feel the impact of that training. But for the places or the areas where the doctors have not been trained, they are still lagging behind. So my punching shot is we need to train more. Sylvia, one parting shot in terms of how you judge your patients. We've done some client exit interviews in a couple of maternity uh, facilities and the clients have actually given us a positive feedback. And one of the things that came out clearly is that they are now being handled in a respectful way. And I think that is something that we attribute to the IMOC training. Thank you, Veronica. Some parting shot. I think the trainings have really helped us have behavior change among our providers and also the skills they've gained have really helped in our mothers being satisfied with the services. I remember the last week I was just, I found in labor they had just conducted a delivery and were trying to resuscitate a baby who was not coming up. So I helped them and the baby actually came up and cried very well and the mother was so happy and she actually said, her last delivery, I think that was around 2018, the baby was resuscitated and the baby did not make it. So this was like a precious baby and the mother was so excited and she was happy with that. And that followed actually the skills that we had trained. Thank you very much. I think I'll stop there. This is not the end of our conversation. Uh, we will continue to disseminate. This is a four-year program that we are trying to feed into 20 minutes of recording, uh, but I appreciate all of you, your feedback, really encouraging to hear the changes that have been made, real life changes, just a minute away changes when Dr. Nasir has just saved a baby in theater. Uh, the day before yesterday when Veronica saved a baby in theater, this is really impactful. I mean, saved a newborn baby, made a, a mother happy, made a family happy. May God bless you for your good work. And we are really glad and we shall continue, you know, to engage more. Thank you very much, Lucy. It's really struck me. The impact of this program is phenomenal. And those real life experiences help to show how important it is to have a program like this, to have it funded, to have it rolled out. 
and to learn from it so that these practices are embedded. And really, we've seen lives saved from this. So thank you to our guests. Thank you, Lucy, wonderful host there. And this is the end of our mini series. So thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please go back and listen to the previous episodes, which cover different aspects of this very important program. Thank you very much. And bye for now. Bye, everyone.